This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. Twenty-four hours a day at oasiscityradio.com. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and the Oasis City Radio app. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. And I have a message for you today that I think is is one of those things that we need to be reminded of from time to time. We've been uh, talking the last few weeks about generations. What does it mean to be part of generations and looking at the kingdom? Here on Father's Day, we need to understand and know that God is a good father. He's actually the good father. Uh, Sometimes, though, we see him not as the good father, but as the the godfather. You know, if you remember that movie uh, series that happened a few years ago, and and particularly the, the Godfather, the, the sequel, the second one that came out. They say it's probably the greatest sequel, cinematic sequel of all time. You know, when do you have a movie that the second one trumps the first one, you know? Uh, and so there, there's this opening scene where the entire uh, family, extended family, uh, is there to meet the Godfather because of a, of, of a party. And people are coming to the party to be with the Godfather, to see the Godfather. Why? Because they have requests of him. They have things that they want to see happen in their life that can't happen without the blessing of the Godfather. And sometimes we can look at God like the Godfather instead of the good father. And, and the primary fundamental difference is this, is that you know, the Godfather is there to grant our requests. But, but if, we, if our posture isn't right, how many of you know with a wave of the hand... Uh, you can go away. Sometimes we come to, to God like this with, with our request, and the difference is this. God wants us to come to him to be with him, yeah. to get to know him. You see, the, the, the Godfather, you, you weren't there to get to know him. But God wants to know you. He wants to know you more. And when I think about God and who he was as a father, I can't help but think of uh, the first statement, public statement he made of Jesus. Jesus is going down to the river. He's, he's baptized. And when he comes up out of the water, God speaks from heaven. He said, this is my son who I love and who I'm well pleased. And he said this before Jesus had ever done a thing, before he ever performed a miracle, before he had ever done any sign or wonder or, or, or blown people's mind with the exploits of heaven, before he, he gave his life for us, God said, I'm well pleased. It's because of who Jesus was, not because of what he had done. And today, there's nothing more that we can do to bring about God's goodness or blessing in our life. It's a mere fact that we are sons and daughters of God that we get to experience his goodness. The book of James says it, says it like this. It says, every good, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights. Every good thing on earth comes from a good father. 
That's what we have to recognize, that God is good and every good thing comes from him. As a matter of fact, it's just not God that's good, but he said this about about Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit. It says, teach me to do your ways in Psalm 143, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Say good spirit. God is good. The spirit is good. And Jesus said this about himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own and and they know me. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And so we see like the Trinity is good. It's not just good God, the father, but Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Holy Spirit said, I am good. He's a good spirit. So what we have to recognize is that the very nature of God of who he is, is that he's good. It's not that God does good things. It's not just that he gives good gifts, but the very nature, the very identity of God is that he's good. And when you look at Genesis chapter one, God is speaking amongst God, like amongst himself, like amongst the Trinity. You know, it's one of those things that we can't quite explain it very articulately, but, but to, to have been there would have been remarkable. God is just speaking to the Son and speaking to the Spirit, and he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And what did he say after he created man? He said this in verse 31. He said, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. You see, everything that God made was good because as the creator, he is good. And so therefore his creation is good because he can't make anything bad. He can't make anything wrong. Everything that comes from God is good. And he said that in creation. He's creating, making things happen. He's looking at it and he's saying, oh, by the way, just so you know, that's good. Oh, just so you know that that thing is good. Just so you know, that is good. And then he creates man and he says, that's very good. It's the very nature of who God is, and it's something that we need to be reminded of from time to time. And, you know, it's one of our, our core values. One of our core values is that he's a good father. And until we come to the, to the understanding that God is good, and what do we used to say in church? God is good all the time. And all the time, there's something that we say in church. But do we really believe it? A lot of times we say things, but we, they don't get down in us. You see, one of the traps that we fall into is that we, we, we fall into the thing that, well, God does good things, but when bad things happen, is he really still good? We can question things when we don't understand that the nature of God uh, is good. And here's, here's what it looks like. You know, a few years ago, I was watching the kids. Tara was, was away, and so it was me at home with the three kids for a few days. And, you know, dad probably let them stay up longer than they should have a few nights, and you know, did those sort of things. They probably ate the wrong kind of food and, you know, whatever. But it was a dad weekend. And, and so I'm watching the kids. So it gets late. And I, and I tell our youngest Shiloh, she was about four years old. And I said, uh, it, it's time to go to bed. Now, when I said it was time to go to bed, you would have thought that I told her that Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy were all not real. Uh, because her response to me saying it's time to go to bed was one of extremes. Okay. She immediately falls down on the floor and starts screaming hysterically, kicking her arms and her legs. I mean, it's a full-blown tantrum. It's one of those moments that I was just thankful this happened in my house and not in public, okay? Like, this child was embarrassing me in my own house, and nobody was around to see it, but I was still like, is this really happening? And you have those moments as a parent where you're like, what do I do? Like, what do I do? Like, the Bible doesn't tell me what to do here. Like, uh, this is not in the manual. Like, 
you know, when you go home from the hospital, you know, they give you the parenting manual, you know, they, they, no, they, they, they don't do they like, I don't know, maybe they do now, but, uh, they didn't, you know, we had our kids. It's like, what, what do you do in this moment of like, so, so I thought, well, I, I'm going to leave her be, I'm going to test this. So I said, okay, Shiloh, here's what you can do. She's laying there on the floor screaming and crying hysterically. And I said, here's what you can do. Uh, you can stop screaming and I'll carry you upstairs to bed. Or you can stay down here and then you can just walk yourself up to bed whenever, whenever you calm down. Uh, and so in that moment, I'm thinking, I, I know what she really wants. She really wants me to carry her upstairs at four. She's exhausted and she can't even make it up the stairs. So, so I know this is what she wants. So here's her chance. And so she decides to double down on her stance and just increases the volume and the, you know, and, and everything. So, so I head upstairs and as I head upstairs, I mean, she's screaming all the louder, just hysterically like going nuts. So I go and I'm tucking her brothers into, into their bed and they can hear sister downstairs throwing a fit because again, she has to go to bed and, and we're laughing about it. And then all of a sudden screaming stops and I thought, well, she's finally got it. And then her 37 pounds hits this first stair with the force of like a 300 pound man. Every single step, she's like shaking the entire house, you know, stomping up the stairs. But as she's stomping up the stairs, she's screaming at every step. She's screaming, you're a bad daddy. You're a bad daddy. You're a bad daddy. 13 times up each stair. You're a bad daddy. And I'm with her brothers, and they absolutely lose it. Like, hysterically. They're hysterically laughing because they know that all I'm trying to do is get her to do what she does every single night, which is just go to bed. And the funny thing is, is in their maturity, at just eight and probably 11 years of age, uh, they understand that I'm a good dad by making her do something that she doesn't want to do. And, you know, Psalm 23 says, says this, it's, if you think of it as the good shepherd, right? Uh, it says, he leads me by, on paths of righteousness for his namesake. He, he leads me to quiet waters. Uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures, right? Yeah. And there's times in our life where all God is trying to do is lead us to green pastures and make us lay down, but... We, in our immaturity, are kicking and screaming and stomping like, you know, God asked us to do something that was crazy. And it's remarkable that in our maturity, we can look back and we can say, oh man, God was just trying to help me. God actually just had good things in mind for me, but, but I didn't see it. And sometimes in our short-sightedness, we don't see God's goodness. We, 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 we're taught that he's good, but we don't see it because we're only looking at what's right here in front of us. And we think, I didn't want to do this, so there's no way that God can be good. In our maturity, we come to the place as children, as natural children, we recognize our parents want us to do things that we don't want to do, but it doesn't make them a bad parent. You know, that Shiloh hasn't screamed, you're a bad daddy since then, you know? Ho- hopefully it doesn't happen again, you know? Hopefully in her maturity and in our wisdom, we're parenting that part out of her. But it's remarkable how just a few years later, her brothers could see the big picture. And here's the challenge for us as people today, as sons and daughters of God, our challenge is to do this. Can we mature a little bit today? 
Can we mature a little bit today? Can we recognize that when God leads us to certain places, it's because of his goodness? That when he allows us to walk through things, that he's always with us, but it's out of his goodness that he's leading us there? You see, God always, always, always provides for us. That's a demonstration of, of his goodness. But I'm here to tell you that God's goodness is not circumstantial. It doesn't matter what season we're going through. That doesn't depend upon God's goodness. We got to see the big picture. And so today, I want us to see a revelation of the goodness of God. Not just an experience of the goodness of God, because we can experience the goodness of God, but then when we experience something else, we question it all again. We need a revelation of God's goodness. And revelation comes through the word of God. So this is where the thing comes about faith. We can... We can think that God is good, but there are times when, we, when we're experiencing something that causes us to question his goodness. Is he really good? And it requires faith. So if you find yourself in a place today where you're saying, I really don't know if God is good, the question is, is your faith strong enough to believe that he's good? So if you find yourself there, could it be that God is actually challenging your faith? Could it be that God actually wants to increase your faith and saying, do you trust me? Can you believe that I am who I say I am? Can you believe that I have the best in mind for you? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a faith journey that we're on. It's a, it's a grow up moment. That's the place that many of us find ourselves in today. And so it's a, it's a faith thing. God's wanting to increase our faith today. You know, that moment came for me uh, growing up in a Christian home, understanding, uh, learning much about the Bible and, and, and following God like all of my life. Uh, there was a lot of things that I understood, but I never really understood God's goodness until I heard a message Someone was talking about, about God in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 3, there's this remarkable thing. You know, Adam and Eve sin. And then what happens? God kicks them out of the garden, right? Uh, it, but but I, I misunderstood this text my entire life. You see, that text for me taught me that God punishes us when we do wrong. And there's certain things that he keeps away from us. But I discovered in this text that actually... God's punishment is often his protection. Yeah. Look, at this, look at this real quick because this was the moment that, that broke through for me because I'd experienced God's goodness in my life, but I'd also experienced things that said, this isn't good. How did God let this happen? But when I was able to bring it back to the word of God and say, wait, wait, wait a minute, I know God is good all the time, not because it's something that we say in church and all the time that God is good, but because I know it to be true because it's the word of God. So Genesis chapter 3 says this. This is, this is remarkable. It says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, because he ate from the tree, right? They committed sin. They did something they weren't supposed to do. Sin comes into the world. And so God says this, And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore God sent him out of the garden to, go, to cultivate the ground for which he was taken. And then verse 24, So he drove the man out. This is what I remember. Out of the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed a cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. This is a story that I remember. They sin. God kicks them out. Not only does he kick them out, but he puts an angel there with a flaming sword that says, don't ever think about coming back here. This is where you messed up. That was my picture. That was my understanding of God. But it wasn't until that you actually read it. And I heard a teaching on it because I didn't. But when you actually read it, look at the end of verse, of verse 22. It says that he might stretch out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So wait a minute. God wasn't kicking him out. 
because he messed up, but he was actually kicking him out because he said, if man ate from the tree of life, he would live forever. But live forever in what state? In their sin. So then when he places the angel there, look at the end of verse 20, 24 again. It says, and the flaming sword turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So God's punishment was actually his protection to keep them from living for eternity in their sin. The angel was stationed there to keep them away from the tree of life. Can you imagine? Look at that. It, it painted a totally different picture of me, a totally different understanding that, wait a minute, God's not punishing, but he's protecting them. So the very nature of God isn't to punish us, but it's to protect us. God's goodness protects us. God's goodness keeps us. God's goodness wants the best for us. And so because of that, he will protect us at all costs. Do you see? There's got to be a revelation of his goodness of God, of the goodness of God. It can't just be something that we experience, but it's got to be something that we know according to the Bible, to the word of God. We've got to be able to see the the big picture. His goodness is felt in his protection. He protects us. There's there's a couple of of men in the Bible that we notice that understood God and his goodness. And as I said, you know, probably the separating factor if we looked at the Godfather versus the good fathers, this concept that when we recognize God as a good father, we just want to be near him. We just want to be close to him. And if you see God as the Godfather, you're probably afraid of him. You don't want to get too close to him. You're scared that you might mess up or do something wrong or say the wrong thing or look at somebody the wrong way or meet him on a bad day. But we've got to see him as the good father. And so as the good father, he's someone that we desire to spend time with. And David understood this in Psalm 23, verse 6. David said this. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David understand that the goodness of God brought him to a place where all he wanted to do was dwell in God's house. Let me commend you today for being in church, men, on Father's Day. Let me commend you today for, for tuning in on Father's Day, for, for making church part of your priority. Because being in the presence of God, being in the house of God is one of the most important things we can ever do as a father. And David understood this. David understood that being in the presence of God was where it was at. He said, I want to dwell in the house All the days of my life. Because to be in God's presence is just the place that I want to be. And and Moses was someone else that understood this. You you realize Moses was was one of the greatest leaders of all time. Moses led slaves out of Egypt into the promised land. Like, Like Moses was this incredible leader. But Moses recognized that the secret to his ability to lead was actually spending time with God. And he understood this at a place and a time in the old covenant when, when spending time with God and hanging out with God wasn't exactly what they did. He pressed on through. He, just, he, he recognized that he could, he could get to know God and be in his presence. And there's this amazing portion of scripture in Exodus chapter 33. We don't have time to turn there, but Exodus 33, Moses understands that, that God is the source of everything. But you see, God was only known through the law and he was known as the God that would, that would kill people. If they didn't serve him. And he was known as the God who, who, who gave the, them the Ten Commandments and the law. And so God wasn't understood in relationship, but Moses understood him like that. 
And Moses pushed through, and, and the book of Exodus tells us about this, how Moses, Moses desired to know God in a greater way. And I'm here to encourage you men today. Listen, if there's anything that you can desire in your life, it's to know God more. Yeah. If there's anything that you can go after and pursue, it's to know God more. If you want to be a better father today, let me encourage you. Get to know God more. Spend time in his presence daily. Get in the word. Pray. Uh, put your time and your attention and your affection upon God. This is what Moses did, and, and he was one of the most incredible leaders of all time because he understood the presence of God. It was here that he said, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to leave. I'm not going anywhere without your presence. And so Moses comes to God, and, and this is understanding a God where God is often judging the people. And he's, he, they're, when they're doing wrong, he's messing up. And, and Moses is going before uh, God as the intermediary. He's going in between them. He's beseeching God on behalf of the nation of Israel. And so he gets to know him in a different way. But it comes to this place in Exodus 33 where he says, God, I want to know you in a way that's so dangerous nobody's ever said it. I want to know you face to face. And you know, the law said that no man could look upon God or he would die. And so Moses was looking at God and he was saying, God, I would rather die and know you more than to stay here and not know you on a level that I could know you. Moses is pushing the envelope. People don't understand this. He's saying, God, I want to know you more than anything. And so he cries out to God and he says, God, show me your face. God, I want to see your glory. You understand, this was, this was like a death wish at the time because, because people touched the ark and they died. They went into the holy holies and they died. Like This is Moses saying, God, I don't care. I want you. And here's what God in his goodness and in his mercy did. He said, Moses, you can't see my face, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll hide you in a little cave. You hide in this little cave on the mountain. And what I'll do is I'm going to pass in front of you. But when I do, because you can't, you can't even, your, your natural body can't withstand my glory. I'm going to put my hand over your face so that you won't see me, but I'll pass in front of you. And then when I remove my hand, you'll, you'll see my backside, but you can't see my face. And the scripture tells us in, in Exodus 33 that, that when God passed before him, he, it, does, it doesn't use the word glory. It says his goodness passed in front of Moses. It says, Moses saw his goodness. When, when he removed his hand, Moses, all he saw of God, when he saw God in his back, said he saw his, his goodness. Moses wanted to see his face, but God showed him his backside. Moses wanted to see God's glory, and he said, no, what you need to know is my goodness. And I believe today, more than anything, many of us are desiring things from God. We're waiting on promises from God. We're like, God, I need you to come through right now. And God is saying to us, like he did Moses, listen. You need all these things, but you know what you need to see? You need to see my goodness. If you can taste of my goodness, then you'll really, really understand who I am. If you want to know my glory, let me give you a peek into my goodness. You see, I, I believe that God's glory is the manifestation of everything that's good. I've heard it best explained like a, it's like a diamond with all these facets, right? It's like you look at it from one angle and you see it, but turn it just ever so slightly and you see another brilliant part of it. And that's the glory of God. The glory of God is, is everything about him. It's every facet of God and who it is. We can't even begin to comprehend the glory of God. But God said, do you know what? You need to know my goodness. I believe if we could understand and know and walk in a way 
where we believed that God was good, it would shift every single area of our life. And on this Father's Day, I believe the most important thing that we can see is to know that God is good. As sons and daughters, every one of us, if we can understand that our Father is good every time, all the time, that it's his nature, it shifts every single thing. You know what happens? We go from the four-year-old to the seven or eight-year-old that understands that when God asks us to do something, it's for, it's for our good, for our benefit. It's a maturing moment. And, and Moses understood this in, in a remarkable way when he asked for God's goodness and he saw his glory. He asked for God's glory. He saw his goodness. And Romans 8.28 says this. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let me go back to Psalm, Psalm 23 very quickly in that verse six. And I'm closing with this. And he says, David said, only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. See that word surely? If you look at it, there's a number one beside it. There's a better translation in the Hebrew that rather than surely, the word actually means only. It's better translated only. So that's, that, that scripture would read, only goodness and mercy follow me. How in the world can you say only goodness and mercy follow me? This is, this is King David. We believe, though, that Psalm 23 wasn't written when he was king, but it was written when he was very, very, very young. David hadn't been through life yet. So we could say that he was naive. He was a young child, probably. He was, he was, a, he was a teenager, just beginning to experience God. He's in the field. He, he's, he was definitely a shepherd when he's writing this. And so he didn't understand what life was really like. David hadn't, hadn't probably hadn't, maybe not even faced the bear and the lion yet. He definitely hadn't faced Goliath yet at this point. He didn't understand a, a difficult thing. So how could he say that only goodness? Well, that's naive David, right? He hadn't been to the place yet where he was anointed king of Israel, but he had to wait years and years and years. And then the very thing that he was pursuing and, and called to do, the very king, that king was trying to kill him. And then so he had to run for his life for years He had to hide out in a cave with some of the ugliest people you ever met. Ugly in personality, you know what I mean? Ugly in circumstance, ugly in disposition. These were were bitter people. These were people that nobody else wanted. They were David's mighty men who were a bunch of grumblers and complainers. Experienced life in a bad way. This is David. So he hadn't been through real life yet. So that's why I guess he could say only goodness and mercy. But, you know, I think when we look at this scripture... I think when we look at it in, in context and understanding that, that Moses experienced the goodness of God, when he saw where, where God had been, when he saw the backside of God, Moses saw goodness. That's what he experienced. I think David was tapping into the new covenant relationship that he had, that, that he recognized that God's very nature was good and that God really can work all things together for his good, if we believe it. I think David had a futuristic, prophetic picture of what God was really like. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look in the mirror, it's not all good. I mean, David said, surely goodness and mercy, only goodness and mercy will follow me. Sometimes when I look in the mirror, I don't see just goodness. Throw me that mirror, would you there? So only goodness and mercy Sometimes when I look at this, uh, anybody have a rearview mirror that fell off of your car? <laughs> Had a 1993 Ford Escort in college. That was 2003. 
but in 1993, see, Ford actually redesigned it in 1994, so my 1993 looked like a 1983, <laughs> and it was teal. It was teal. Uh, yeah, Tara loved to ride in that car. It was <laughs> nothing like me pulling up in the stick shift. Teal Mobile, as they called it, uh, to pick her up for a date. We often drove her car, we did. And, uh, you know, this was that mirror that had fallen off. At one time, no joke, uh, somebody had hit it, and um, I was not only missing the rearview mirror, but I was missing the side mirror as well. So uh, that was a different, that was a different time, man. It was a different mirror. You know... So this mirror that was on that teal mobile, uh, you know, sometimes when you look at it, you, you don't always see goodness. And if we pulled out the mirror in our life right now, you looked at in your past, would you see God's goodness? Or would you see something else, you know? Like, what is it that you would see? You know, I'm re- reminded some of us would see, um, since we're talking about movies today, I, you know, some of us would see the, um, remember the Jurassic Park scene? You look in the rearview mirror, you know, Objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear, and the T-Rex is chasing them. Jurassic Park, you remember that? And some of us, when we, when we look in the rearview mirror, we don't see goodness. We see the big, giant T-Rex. Yeah. We, we, we see moments of fear, of dread. Some of us see bad things happening, and when we look in the mirror, we can feel those bad things happening. And we don't feel like we can relate to David when he said, surely goodness, only goodness follows me because you see bad things following you. But here's the wonderful truth of God and recognizing that God's nature is good is that God has a way of turning everything around for his good. So that in the darkest moment of our life, the most fearful moment of our life, the the most horrific moment of our life, our moments of greatest weakness, of greatest sin, God turns it around, and he uses it for his glory. Do you recognize that your greatest failure is your greatest testimony when you give it to God? And that not only is it something that God has done in your life, but when you share your testimony, do you know that it brings health and growth and healing and life to somebody else? So when you look in the mirror and you see your failure, when you give it to God and surrender it to him, when you allow God to heal you and you look in your mirror and you see that moment, all of a sudden, it's not the pain that you see or the fear that you see or the hurt that you see, but you can see not only your life restored, but you can see other people's lives restored who, because you were willing to share your testimony, their life was greatly impacted. So when you look in the rearview mirror, you see goodness. I thought of this during first service in worship and asked them to put the picture up. So instead of seeing, you know, the T-Rex from Jurassic Park, you see Rex from Toy Story. Like, if that's not a picture of the goodness of God, that God takes the T-Rex from Jurassic Park and he turns it into Rex from Toy Story. He said that very thing that you are afraid of is actually something that's going to bring joy. It's actually going to be something that brings life. It's actually going to be something that brings laughter and happiness because I've taken something that was evil and I turned it for good. And, and that's the goodness of God. That's what he does. He turns things around in our life when we give it to him. So here's my question for you today is, as we wrap up. 
if you were to close your eyes right now where you're at, if you're driving, don't do that. But if you're watching at home, whatever it is you're doing, you look up in that rearview mirror for a moment. And for each of us in here in the room, you're going to close your eyes for a moment. When you look in that rearview mirror of your life, what is it that you see? And I'm going to ask you something a little deeper. What is it that you feel when you look back at the moments in your life where you feel like they were the valley of the shadow of death? You feel like they were the moment where you don't know that God was there and you definitely don't know that God was good. Those moments are the very moments that God uses to bring freedom and hope and life to so many others. But we have to allow Holy Spirit to heal them. In order for them to to be restored and made good, we have to allow Holy Spirit to work in our life. 